Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Now for the enlightening June 18th message, Achieving Unity of the Faith. A feast for your spirit. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're with me this morning. It's always good on Sunday morning to have a time when we can come together and and, uh, deep dive some of the things that God's revealing today, and we're going to do that this morning. Some of you may be upset with me after I'm done this morning. Some of you may never come back to the Digital Cathedral, but I'm asking you this morning to have an open mind, open heart. We're going to talk about some things and go some places that I think is fair to say probably no man has really gone in the depth that we're going to go this morning. So this is, I'm sure this is going to be a teaching that you may want to listen to a couple times. This is probably not one you want to share with your friends that are just coming out of religion into the uh, message of grace and inclusion. But I think, I think for those of you at the Digital Cathedral, you're on the first wave, you're on the cutting edge. I think I've got something I want to share this morning that is going to broaden our vision and see maybe in a way that we've never seen before. So I'd like to start over in Ephesians chapter 4. All I ask is you stick with me all the way to the end. And if you have to leave, then come back and watch the rest of it because uh, I just feel this is a, a, a very timely message. I feel like this is a message whose time has come and that we're prepared and in a place when we can receive it. So let's start Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, that the saints might do the work of the ministry, right? For the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith. And that's where I'm going to, I'm going to set on that real strong this morning. Till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, most of the, the, the elements in that 13th verse we've talked about come to the measure, stature, fullness of Christ. We've talked about gaining a right knowledge of God and of Jesus. But we haven't talked a whole lot about the unity of the faith. And I think that's where the spirit of truth is taking us Uh, On a very broad basis around the world, I think the spirit of truth is bringing us into a place where we're going to have to begin to recognize what the unity of the faith actually looks like. So the first phrase in that verse 13 says, until we all come. There's that word all. That means all of us are going to come to a recognition and come to a place where there is a unity of the faith. Now with 40,000 plus denominations, that would seem to be mission impossible. In fact, I've spent, I've, I used to go over that for years and I, I could never even fathom how that could happen. <clears throat> Yet the guy who got the message directly from Jesus, who dispensed revelation that came, he said from Jesus directly, said it would happen. Now let's begin to expand on this a little bit. I noticed that he did not say that we would come to a unity of doctrine. He didn't say we'd come to a unity of theology. Didn't say we'd come to a unity of church government. Didn't say we'd come to a unity of gifting. Those are all things that we've put into it. 
He said that we would come to a unity of the faith. I'm going to stretch you this morning. I'm going to rock your world. I'm going to tell you right up front. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to mess with you big time. And before I really get into this, I want to ask you five questions. How you answer these is going to be important in the way that you receive this message. Question number one, how big is your God? How big is your God? Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods. So that means every God that, is, that man worships or every God that he has given his attention to does not equal the God, capital G. He's the God of the small g. And he is the L, the Lord of lords. So he's, he's the numero uno. And that's, I want you to get that established in your thinking this morning. Let, let your mind expand to how big God is. Question number two, how unconditional is that God's love? Does he place any condition whatsoever? Is it totally unconditional? Because that, that word unconditional is a big word. And it's so easy to look at people and think, they, they, God can't love them. Look how messed up, jacked up they are. How unconditional do you really actually honestly see God's love? Is there, as Paul said, only one God who is the Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, 6, is Christ actually in all? All. I mean, is he really in everybody? It says in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Let me just get over there. Colossians, Ephesians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Got to get over there. Is, is, is he really in everybody? Now, I've, I've hit on this before. If you've been at the Digital Cathedral, you, you've heard me say this. But in him there is neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Now I'm going to ask you this morning to just get a visualization of the 8 billion people on the planet, or whatever the number is, I think that's pretty accurate. I want you to see Christ in every single person regardless of what country they live in, regardless of what religion they're practicing. See, there's no exclusion there. I told you I'm going to stretch you this morning. Do you really see Christ in every person? And are you prepared this morning to be as inclusive in your message, in your gospel, as Paul was? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. Here's how inclusive Paul was. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. I, take, I always take time to go to my Bible because I want you to know I'm being scriptural, what I'm teaching you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's how inclusive Paul was. We regard nobody to the flesh. In other words, we don't, re, we don't judge or determine any man by his actions, by his attitudes, by his theology, by his belief system. We don't look at that. He, 
We know no man by the flesh. That's I, I don't know how you can how you can get around that. From henceforth, from this point forward, we regard nobody according to the flesh. All right. Question question number six. Does God reject people that call him by the wrong name? Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but just, you know, some of you call God differently than what you used to call him. You used to call him God. Now, you, then you went to Father. And some of you that, that follow along with Paul Young, you call him Papa. Huge difference between God and Papa. Right? Now, just hold that in mind. Does God reject those that call him by the wrong name? Are there wrong names that we can call what Deuteronomy 10.17 said was the God of God and the Lord of Lords? All right, point number one this morning. Point number one. Since time immemorial, there have been schisms and splits and divisions among religions, among the sects, among the denominations. And the fact of the matter is there's more that are popping up every day. I mentioned 40,000. There's actually more than 40,000, and there's more coming every day. This is not something new. This has been going on since the very beginning. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 3, my mind is racing so fast this morning because there's so much I want to get out in this teaching. And I'm going to try, try to get it all done in one time. He said, for, for your, he said, you're carnal. You're full of envy and strife and divisions. So there were divisions even in Paul's time. He said, are you not yet carnal and behave like mere men? One says, I'm of Paul. Another says, I'm of Apollos. He said, that's a carnal position. That's a carnal way to look at it. So even then, they were splitting up and saying, I really like the way Paul teaches. I like the way Apollo teaches. I like the fact that Paul stands for this Apollo. He needs to come up to that level. Paul's got great insight there. I wish Paul would see it the way. Matter of fact, I'm going to have to dismiss Paul and follow Apollos. So th there were divisions and splits. Still are today. Tremendous divisions and splits, it would seem, in the natural. But remember, we're not going to see any man after the flesh. Does, maybe the father has a different lens that he's looking through. One says, I'm a Baptist. One says, I'm a Presbyterian. Another one says, I'm a Lutheran. Another one says, well, I'm a Catholic. I'm, I've had all, I'm done with all that. I'm non-denominational. Well, I've given up on all of them. That's what some would say. Maybe the father is looking through a different lens. Maybe he's looking through the lens of John Chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, the entirety of all of creation, that he gave his only begotten son. And it says in verse 17, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. Do you see the father has a worldview? He sees, he sees the, the entirety of the world. Where man has come and he has separated himself off into divisions and sects. He doesn't, the father doesn't see separation. He doesn't see differences. He sees the entire cosmos as a whole. And he has one plan. Unity of the faith. He has one plan for the entire world. I mean, even with all the revelation we have today, with all the insight, the discovery, there's still huge differences. I mean, I would consider myself probably part of the, the grace camp. But even among grace people, now there's, there's different streams and variations. 
even with inclusion, there are, you know, there's inclusionists, there's universalists, there's evangelical universalists. The, the more it seems like we, we, we see, the more we, we splinter off. But the Father doesn't see it that way. So what, what we're actually doing, it would seem, is postponing. We're, we're not hastening the unity of the faith that Paul said we would experience. We're, get, we're still gathering around beliefs, uh, factions. Uh, we've become very sectarian. Even in, even in the revelation that people have gotten today, they still compartmentalize themselves. Gathering around beliefs that separates people. There are people within the inclusion camp that will have absolutely nothing to do with other people because they see the whole thing a little different. The, Paul, the Father never chose people based on them being in perfect synchronization in their understanding and belief and insight and revelation about who he was. He picked Abraham. Abraham was not a God follower. He was an idol worshiper. Remember that? Idol worshiper in Mesopotamia. And God spoke to him, said, Abraham, I'll put a hand on you. His belief certainly didn't align with, with the Father, what we know about him. He picked Paul. Would you have picked Paul, the jihadist, in the New Testament that was destroying and killing Christians, imprisoning them, wreaking havoc, destroying the church. That was his, that was his goal, is to totally destroy it. Would you have picked him to be the one that you say, I'm going to pour revelation to this guy. He's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. I've got some things I want to say to humanity, and I'm picking Paul the legalist, the murderer, the killer the one that everybody fears the most, his, his understanding of God certainly did not align with that of Jesus and what the Father had revealed through the Son. Though they were nothing like the God that we know. And we could go through example after example, but that didn't hold the Father because the Father's seeing differently. All right? Every time you try and limit, listen to me, every time you try and limit how the Father manifests himself or who he's going to manifest through, who he chooses, what you're really revealing is your narrowness and the limitation that you have put on God. That's why I said, how big is your God when we started this morning? Because if when, when you see he's not going to use this people, this group, you're just limiting him and showing how narrow your view of him really is. Every separation on the planet today, every, every religious separation, spiritual separation, was, in, was, was brought forward and exists because man created it. God did not create any separation. Father doesn't see such separation. Father doesn't see separation based on theology. He doesn't see separation based on doctrines. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, I'll just quote it for you. It says that if one died for all, then all died. Where's the separation in that? Where's the exclusion in that? If one died for all, then all died. That's everybody in the cosmos died with Christ. Yet we've all got little different ways that we, that we view it and handle it. Our methodologies are the same. For example, the charismatic when he looks at healing, he, he believes in the laying on of hands. He believes in divine healing as if there's any other kind, but he'll talk to you about divine healing, laying on of hands. The Baptist 
would say God heals, but we ask, we seek, we knock, we plead our case to him, we ask him to, to heal us. And then you got the finished work guy that says, wait a minute, it's all finished, we're already healed. It's already a, it's already a done deal. Now, is there really any difference in what they, the charismatic, the Baptist and the finished work person is after? Is there really any difference? Only in methodology. The target, the goal is still the same. I'm trying to say this this morning. The closer the spokes get to the hub of the wheel, the less separation there is. The Father is the hub and you and I are the spokes. And the closer we get to the hub, the less separation we're going to realize, the less separation is, we're, going to, we're going to acknowledge. See, the, the teaching on how the Spirit works are intrinsically the same, whether it's a Baptist, a charismatic, a finished work, a grace person, basically the same, right? Because there's only one Spirit. How can how, the, the spirit can manifest in different ways, but basic because there's one spirit. Remember, remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Let me, let me read that for you. We we read a little bit in chapter four, but let me read just a little bit before that. Ephesians chapter four, verse four. It says, "There is one body, and there is one spirit, and we are called into one hope." There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. He's stressing that there's only one. I don't care what you call him. I don't care what your methodology is. So if there's only one, why, do, why are there 40,000? I'm going to tell you exactly why. Because we don't see Christ in every man. We only see Christ in those that believe like we do, those that share like faith, and so we gather around them. And so as a result, there's a, there's a separation of seeing who actually uh, has the indwelling Christ within. We don't believe one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in all. Now, I'm not talking about you at the digital cathedral necessarily. I'm talking about this broad expanse of Christianity because this morning we're going to try to bring this thing and get a focus on what is the unity of faith? How can, we, how, does this, how can this be achieved? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23, Matthew chapter 6, in verse 23, let me tell you something. Here, here, here's a key. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23. But if, your eye, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Or if your eye is not single. If you, if you look at the King James. Let me, let me read this out of the King James. I think it explains just a little bit better what we're after this morning. Because... See, we're not seeing with a single eye. We're not seeing the one. We're seeing, we're seeing many. We're seeing, uh, and that's where the division and that's where the separation is coming in. We're not seeing Christ in every man. He says, and let me read this out of the King James, because King James really nailed it down. For if your, 
If your eye is evil, your whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how shall there be, how shall there be darkness? Right? If, you're, if your eye is single, then your body will be full of light. But if your eye is, is seeing double, then you're, then you're full of darkness. So what, what's going on here? If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're only seeing, if you're seeing like the Father sees, Father sees only one. When you're seeing two, you're seeing double vision. And it stops the revelation. It stops the light. It's cut off. So if, here's, what I'm, here's what this is driving at. If we look with one eye at what we believe, and then with the other eye, we're looking at the Baptist or the Charismatic or the Catholic, listen, or the Muslim or the Buddhist, with the other eye, we see no revelation and there is no unity. The only way there can be unity is if we see with the single eye as the Father sees. Now, this is going to mess you up. This is going to mess you up. Listen, I'm seeing right now, and what, I, what I'm understanding is that the Muslim, the Buddhist, the worshipers of the golden calf are worshiping their highest concept of God. It's all they know. That's why I asked you, how big is your God? They're worshiping, let me say it again. I'm seeing the Muslim, the Buddhist, the idol worshiper, worshiping the highest concept of God that they have. They have not yet been awakened. Their eyes are not open to perhaps what you see. right? But in their heart, they're seeking something higher. They're seeking something beyond their present level of consciousness and understanding. So with all the advanced revelation, with all the insight that we have today, we're basically doing the same thing. Now listen to me very, 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 very carefully. We're still seeking a higher level of revelation, consciousness, and understanding than what we have presently. I mean, let's, let's go back five years, ten years ago. For most of you, you probably don't have to go back that far. Weren't you seeking? I certainly was. I was, I was a good evangelical pastor, charismatic, word of faith, Holy Ghost, Phil. I was seeking something that was higher and beyond what I had at that present time. Is the God I serve today is he the same God that I served 25 years ago? Absolutely. But my perception and my understanding of him is entirely different, right? I see him in an entirely different light than what I did 25 years ago. In fact, let me be very radical. I'm an atheist to the God that I served for the first 50 years of my life. I seem so entirely different. Was I sincere? Was I honest? Was I looking for the most that I could get? Absolutely. But now where I sat and looked back, am I any different than someone else that has a God that you and I, with present understanding, would say, that's, that's not accurate. That's not right. Even the heathen that we read 
In Colossians uh, 3.11, the Scythian, the most barbaric, unevangelized people on the planet, Paul said, Christ is in them. And I told you that's the problem we have today, why we have so many divisions, so many, uh, we've broken off into sectarian views, is because on a broad basis, I'm talking about the body of Christ at large, we don't see Christ in every man. We see Christ in those that believe as we believe. See, religion groomed us to see division, to see separation. And then we, we put a label on that separation. You know, people, people love to, to probably label you and, and have as a universalist. See, that's, that's like the consummate religious put down. I don't consider myself a universal. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who believes in inclusion. I believe in objective, subjective part of salvation. Objective all done, but subjectively when you receive, when you believe, then you walk into and you can experience it. Now see, even within those that would say they're inclusions, they would see it entirely different. See? We, we were groomed to then put a label on somebody. Here's what I learned about labels. The reason we label somebody, the reason we label a Catholic as, as worshiping idols, say pray to saints and good evangelicals say that, that you're just not, you're, you're practicing idolatry. You worship Mary, talk to Mary. See, what we want to do is label them so that we can dismiss them. We don't have to listen to them. We automatically dismiss them. Have you noticed when you make a Facebook post, people will label you? And the reason they label you is so they can disregard anything that you say. With the Spirit of God today, and brother, we're going to get into some things here. What the Spirit of God is doing today is helping us to see with a single eye, a unity that is not restricted by man-made doctrines and traditions and beliefs. Jesus said, you've made, you've, you've made the word of God, the word that I'm speaking, you made it of none effect because of your traditions. And we've done that continually. Paul is the new covenant man. He's, he's the dispenser of revelation. And I ask, can you be as inclusive as what Paul was? He's the one. He's the one who will come to a unity of the faith. He's the, he's the one that's going to tell us how it would actually look. Now, Paul rocked an encounter in Acts chapter 17 that really challenged me. Changed my perception. I'm talking about recently. When I, when I read this thing in, in Acts chapter 17, because God's been working on me about this unity of the faith and I talked to Malcolm Smith about it a couple times at lunch. I said, Malcolm, you know, the unity of faith's got to be boiled down to just two things, two, three things. I said, Jesus is Lord and love one another. And he listened, said, yeah. But he said, then you're going to get into de de definitions. And okay, I, I, I got it. <laughs> so the unity of the faith, that might encompass some of those things, might be some fruits of it. But that's not what the Father's getting at when he talks about unity of the faith. And I like what Paul said in Acts chapter 17. I never in all my life have heard a teaching, seen a teaching on the way I'm going to lay it out for you in Acts chapter 17. But I think there's a key that you on the cutting edge need to begin to say, okay, look, let me think about this. Let me, let me begin to think about embracing this. Right? Acts chapter 17 is not a parable. It's not a dream. What took place in Acts chapter 17 was an actual 
happening. And I think it's, it's a passage that gave great revelation from the Father's single-eyed view of what achieving of the unity of faith looks like. The word faith is the, is the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. It means divine persuasion. And that's always a gift. It has to be imputed and imparted by the Father. You, can't, you don't have any faith of your own. He, to each man has been given a measure of faith that has been given to you. Do you understand that? You didn't sprout it up yourself. So it's a divine persuasion that has come as a gift. And the word unity means simply a oneness, a harmony, or a consensus. So what Paul is going to do in Acts chapter 17, he's going to reach out and he's going to embrace a group of people that most of us today would say, I don't know if Christ is in them. I mean, they're, they're really doing some crazy stuff. Paul's going to talk about bringing a harmony of divine persuasion. A divine persuasion from the Father's point of view, right? That's what Paul's after in Acts chapter 17. Now, the, the people that Paul is speaking to in Acts chapter 17 were not an offshoot of Christianity. They were not like the Judaizers that said, <clears throat> okay, we believe in Jesus, but you have to be, you have to be circumcised. So it was Jesus plus something. It's like many of us say, okay, accept Jesus, but you've got to be water baptized. You accepted Jesus, that's good, but you've got to speak in tongues. All right, so it's always an add-on to the gospel. That's what the Judaizers were. They were offshoot of Christianity. Paul was not talking to anybody that had any idea of what he was talking about. They were hardcore, listen to me, they were hardcore idol worshipers. They didn't know anything about Jesus. They knew nothing about the gospel. They were like the Scythians back in Colossians 3. So in about 15 verses, there are six things that I want you to see that Paul began to introduce into the life of these idol worshipers. This, this is, I, hope, I hope I'm able to communicate this to you to the level that I'm seeing it. All right, so let, let's come over to Acts chapter 17. And I want to pick it up with verse 16. Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Now, if I'm a little shorter in time today, it's because I'm, I'm dropping a bunch here that I want you to be awakened to. So I don't want to put, I don't want to lay too much on you at one time. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now again, this is not a parable. This is not a dream. This is an actual happening in the life of Paul. And verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, at Athens. Now Paul was waiting on Timothy and Silas to come down from Berea. Now what happened in Berea, just to give you a little background, in Berea Paul stirred up people with his preaching and they actually, a group of men and people from Thessalonica, which Paul was at prior to Berea, and they ran him out of Thessalonica. He goes down to Berea and preaches the gospel. These people that are all upset in Thessalonica come down to Berea, stir everybody up. They run Paul out of town. So Paul heads down to, to Athens, and he's waiting for uh, Silas and Timothy to come and join him. 
They, they sent Paul ahead and said, we got to get you out of town. This is dangerous. This is not good. You need to leave. So he went out ahead. I mean, just been run out of two towns. You don't think Paul was radical? So he's down there in Athens. Now let me read verses 16, 17, and 18. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. I mean, these people were hip deep in idols, idol worshiping. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily for those that, that happened to be there. Then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, What is this babbler saying? Others said, He, he sounds like he's a proclaimer of a foreign god. Because Paul preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, he, he got down in the marketplace. He went to church, said, okay, I'm in town. Here's what, what I'm doing. Then he went down in the marketplace, and he began to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. That's all he presented. He, did, he didn't get theological fine points about how to be right mode of water baptism or the rapture or second. He didn't get into eschatology. He just preached Jesus and the resurrection. I just want to. I want, want to step aside. In other words, Paul came right out front and said, "This is who I am. This is what I. This is where I'm coming from." But these people had no idea. They were idol worshippers. They didn't know what ta Paul was talking about. So let me pick it up from verses 19 to 23. Now this is where it starts to get interesting. <clears throat> in verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. This that was just an open air place where people could speak. Other people would be seated all around and listen to what the person had to say. This this was their habit because they liked to hear new things. And Paul points that out. They brought him to the Areopagus and said, "May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak." For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing but either to tell or to hear some new thing. All right, let me read verse 20. Keep reading down through verse 23. Verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Now watch, this is really good. He said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. The word religious there means you have a respect of the divine. You have a respect of the... I, I perceive that you have a respect of, of things that are, are holy and, and a respect for God. For as I was passing through considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Now that's, that's a big key. Therefore, the one you worship without knowing, I proclaim to you. So Paul's saying, you've been reaching, you've been looking. He said, you're, you're not sure you've got it all together. So you, just to cover the base, you've got this unknown God you're worshiping. Paul said, that's, that's the God I'm going to talk to you about. Right? All right, so let's come down, keep reading, verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and in earth, 
does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Watch. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times, the boundaries of their dwellings. Verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Now, let me just back up here. I want There's something very important that Paul points out here in this, um, in this, uh, what, verse 25. He says, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life. Now that word life there is the word zoe. That is the God life. So what, what Paul is saying, now watch how he begins to bring, he begins to bring them into this. I, I told you, are you willing to be as inclusive as Paul is? So Paul is reaching out to these idol worshipers and he's saying, you have the Zoe, you have the God kind of life that is in you and he has given you breath. He has, he has sustained your life and has given to you all things. That's inclusive, man. Paul didn't come in there preaching hellfire and brimstone saying, if you guys don't turn around, you're going to hell. He didn't come in with any of that. He, he included the Athenian idol worshipers in those that had the life of God imparted to them because God is seeing with one eye, seeing single vision. He's seeing the entire planet, no separation, no division. They might be calling him by the wrong name, but he is the God of gods. My goodness, this gets heavy. And he said he has made from one blood every nation of men. There's one God and Father of all, above all, through all, in all. They all came from the same God. And this God that you don't know about, the unknown God, that's the God we're talking about. In fact, you've been worshiping the right God. You just didn't know his name. All right, let, let's, let's move down to verse 28. For it's in him we live. Christ is in all. You, they have been included. He's telling the idol worshipers, guys, it's in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. Do you see what he's doing with these with these idol worshipers? He's bringing man. This, Paul would have lost his ordination in most churches, preaching to non-believing. Never prayed the magic prayer. Never water baptized. Didn't even know. Paul is bringing them in, saying, "You have the life of God. You are the children of God. You are the offspring of God. This God that I teach to you, that you've been worshiping and didn't even know His name." But you've been worshiping. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that his divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. Right? So Paul's saying, look, I'm, ch I'm going to change your level of consciousness. I'm changing your level of perception here. What I'm, what I'm after is to get you Let's use a, a church word to repent, to change your mind, metanoia, head in a different direction. 
You're, you're, you're good to go. You're God's children. You're included. You're of one blood. You're wor you've been worshiping the right God. You just didn't know his name. You didn't know how to put a handle on it. You've been searching and trying to get a higher level of understanding, a higher level of conscious. And just in case you missed it, Mr. Idol Worshiper, we are all the offspring of God. There's no such thing as a child of the devil. Now, many people would have looked at those idol worshipers and said, they are children of the devil. They are lost, undone. They are headed in the wrong direction. Now, Paul really, really starts to make this good. He, he, he gets gooder as we get into this. Listen, this is, this is going to ups, end and upset your theological cart. Many of you, many of you, I, I'm bringing to you an expanded understanding this morning. And I hope that you see it. All right, verse 30 and verse 31. Open our eyes, Father. Verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands that all men everywhere change their mind. I'm bringing to you, all I'm asking is you change your mind. Because he has appointed, watch. This is how good God is, how inclusive, how much love that he has. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Did you hear that? He's going to judge the world in righteousness. I'm finished. I've got something to say about that. By the man he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what, what's Paul getting at here? He's saying, guys, I want you to know something. God's going to judge the world. And the, 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 the word for world there is not cosmos. It's the world, let me just interpret, let me just give you the definition. The word world as it's used there means the inhabited earth. He's going to judge the inhabited earth, everybody that's on it, in righteousness. You know what righteousness is? That's, a, that's approval. He's saying he's going to judge the world. He's going to judge it approved in a approved condition, pleasing to God. He's already determined. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. And he gives this assurance in verse 31. He says, he, let, me, let me read it because this is just so good. Verse, 30, verse 31. Because he has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, he has given assurance of this to everybody, to all. There's that word all again. By raising Jesus from the dead. Paul's saying, look, he's going to judge the world righteous. He's going to judge the world approved. And, and he's given us a blanket of security because he raised Jesus from the dead. So what, what, what's he saying? He's saying he's given us an assurance even to you idol worshipers. Even to you Baptists, you Catholics, you Muslims, you Buddhists, you that follow Confucius, you're serving a lesser God, but I'm talking to you, Mr. Muslim, about the great God, the God that you're groping for, the God that you're looking for, the God that you're trying to come to a higher consciousness of. 
He's going to judge the world in righteousness. And he says he seals the deal by raising Jesus from the dead. Gives this assurance to everybody. Muslim, Buddhist, doesn't make, give an assurance to everybody by raising Jesus from the dead. Remember what, remember what 1 Peter 1.3 says? That we have been born again by the resurrection. <clears throat> so he's including, he's bringing bringing these idol worshipers into the resurrection. In effect, he's saying, idol worshipers, you've been born again through the resurrection. You just don't know it. You idol worshipers, I'm trying to get you to change your mind, idol worshipers. You don't know who you are. You have no clue of the message I'm bringing to you, right? <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad Paul didn't preach turn to burn. I'm, 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 I'm glad Paul didn't try to bring a theology that they had to embrace. He's proclaiming all that was established as fact, as true, already settled. This is what has already been done, even for you idol worshipers. Every idol worshiper, in the sound of my voice, Paul is saying, I'm giving you the facts. This is what has been totally done. You just don't know it. Whole message Paul taught to them was gospel, was good news. He's just one one time after another, and you can come back from verses uh, uh, sixteen right down through verse thirty-one. It, Paul didn't preach theory; he didn't preach hope of what might come. He's, he just lays down fact after fact after fact after fact, and then he culminates it in the resurrection, which is the most inclusive act that has ever happened on the planet. Now here's what happened. <clears throat> Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. Others said, we want to hear more. And others departed with Paul. Some believed. That's the same through things that happen today. See, but it doesn't affect the facts. It doesn't change the father's view of them. Whether they mocked, they wanted to hear more, or they believed and left with Paul, doesn't matter. They were all in the father's same category, and everything that Paul said about these idol worshipers was still true. It didn't change. See, they're all going to get it. Sooner or later, all are going to get it. <clears throat> Jesus said, or Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 15 and verse 22. Now we, we read verse 22, but we don't read verse 23 too much. And there's, a, there's something in here I want you to see because this gives you some understanding. They're all going to get all these idol words. The ones that mocked, they're going to see it. The ones that wanted to hear more, they're going to hear more. They're going to see it. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I've read that a hundred times to you. Verse 23 says, but each man in his own order. Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ's at his coming. Now see, we've made that into the second coming. It's not what that word is. It's the word parousia. It means the coming of his presence, the revelation. So each man's going to come as he receives revelation. Those that were mocking Paul, they didn't get the revelation yet. It wasn't their time. Each man in his order. See, the number of your order has probably come before the, the Muslim or the Buddhist that is 
serving the highest level of consciousness that he has of God, just like you did as an evangelical when you were worshiping a judgmental, judicial, punitive deity that would put you into the torture chamber at the snap of a finger if you sinned. See, that I don't really think you can think that's any more off base than what other religions are worshiping. You say, well, I, they're worshiping a false god. What kind of god do you think we were worshiping? We still don't have it all. We still aren't seeing everything. We're still doing what the idol worshipers did on a different level. We're still searching for a high level of consciousness. We still want clarity. We still, we still believe there's more. I, I don't believe what I believed five years ago. There are things I've adjusted, things I've, I've uh, fine-tuned, and probably the exact same for you. So everybody's going to come in their own order, Christ of first fruits and those as as he is revealed. And I'll, let me just read on a little bit here. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and all power, for he must reign till he has made all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is exempt. In other words, Jesus is exempt from this. Now here's what I want you to see. This is the absolute stamp that this will take place. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. Watch, 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 watch. listen. That God may be all in all. All right. The unity of the faith. All right. Now I want you to listen to me for the next three minutes. The unity of the faith is not everybody having the same theology. Unity of the faith is not everybody having the same belief system. It, it's not a giving in of those who believe wrong to those that are convinced that they got it all right. That's not what unity of the faith is. The unity, the harmony, the consensus of, of faith, of that divine persuasion that consists of divine persuasion, the unity of the faith is given, listen, 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 that unity of the faith is given by grace as is everything it's revealing all that the Father has imputed. It's an unveiling. It's a revelation of everything that the Father has already given to us, regardless of theology. The Father sees from the big picture. He has given to every man that ever existed everything. Some are awakened to it. Some are not awakened to it. Some see it. Some don't. Some see a section and not a section. Right? That's the unity all are going to come to. That is the gospel. The entirety of humanity will see what God has given. How, how unconditionally he's loved. How inclusive he is. How big he is. See, Paul revealed to the idol worshipers <clears throat> nothing we can boast about in this, you guys. I can't both say I got the right beliefs. I got it all right. Paul was not doing it. Paul was including them into everything that he had. 
He's revealing to us as he revealed to the idol worshipers that God was their father. That he loved them unconditionally. That they were included in the family. That the father would have mercy on everybody. And that he has called us all to continually change our mind to repent. In fact, here's what, here's what God says. Here's what Daddy does. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. And I don't have time to get into all this. But Paul says this. God consigned everybody into disobedience. Don Keithley is in disobedience. I don't know where, but from his single point of view, I haven't hit it perfect. You haven't hit it perfect. So God looks at everybody, puts them all into disobedience. One, one giant bin, whether you're an idol worshiper, a Baptist, a charismatic. You know why? Romans 11.32 says he put everybody into disobedience so he can have mercy on all. So that he can have mercy on everybody. That's the good news. Now, some are catching it quicker than others, what he has affected for all. But even that, we're expanding in our understanding. Here's my message this morning. He that has grace ears to hear, let him hear. Our God is a good God. And nobody is excluded, even the idol worshipers. That's the gospel <laughs> without the doctrines. God bless you. See us next Sunday morning. I think that's more than enough. Come back through this. Read Acts 17 for yourself. You can pull out all these things I did. And the Spirit of Truth, I didn't, you know, I didn't have time to just expand on. I could have taken a week on probably most every one of those passages. But I just wanted to hit you with a big picture of what the Father sees so that we can begin to see with a single eye. The single eye sees as he sees, which is no man after the flesh. God bless. See you Wednesday night, next, next Sunday morning, back at the Digital Cathedral. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our Digital Cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.